Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So as we turn our attention to God's Word, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you that we get to study your Word, that each and every Sunday we can open up the Bible and, and learn together. But God, we don't want to just learn some information. We want to be different. So we're inviting you to to move and work in our hearts and our minds, in all of us, as a community, together. We want to be different. So Lord, we're, we're here meeting with you, and we want to be ready to receive from you, so help us to be ready. God, we love you. You are so good. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So every May, it comes that time, graduation season, right? So if you've got kids who are either that age or approaching that age, or you remember when your kids were that age, man, graduation, like all of a sudden you've got like graduation parties every weekend for like a month, and you're, you're going to all, all these different events to celebrate the significant moment for graduates, right? And it is, it's a significant moment. It's a, it's a turn into a new stage of life. Well... What's one of the things that you often hear uh, around graduation time, aside from the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss, right? That book always comes out, right? You often hear a a verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, right? This is Jeremiah 29, 11. And oftentimes, at graduation time, you see this show up. But it doesn't just stay there. Like, even some of you today, you might have this verse on some kind of placard or, or something in your, in your house, right? This is a verse we, we often go to. It's very familiar to us. And it's even familiar to, to those who are not a part of the church. You know, non-believers, people who didn't grow up to church, like, they are familiar with this because it's out there. People know it. We're in this series called Misinterpreted Verses. And immediately you're like, oh, wait a minute. What's he going to say now? Like, we're we're in this series. We're we're exploring different verses of the Bible that oftentimes we maybe don't have the best picture or best understanding of. And we're looking at these verses to understand, like, what's what's the real meaning? What's the context in which it comes? What, What does God want us to know or to understand about each one of these verses? So that's what we're doing. Each week, we're coming to a new verse where we're going to unpack what's, what's the meaning here and how do we understand it properly. And all the while we do that, we're learning skills about how to read the Bible well. So those are our two goals. We want to understand each given verse that we're going to study, but then we want to learn how do we read the Bible? Like, how do we handle this thing? Because it's so, so rich and important. There's so much here. How, how do we understand it? Well, today, we're going to come to this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, I'm curious, and as you're thinking on it, like what sorts of things are coming to mind about what this verse means? Like what are the things that are running through your head about like, well, okay, this is how I understand it. And you now are probably getting kind of skeptical. You're like, where am I wrong, right? Like that's, that's what we want to do. We want to open up. We want to just name where, where have we heard this verse? How have we understood it? And where might we be right and where might be, we, we be wrong? Because I think there, there is some connection here. There's something that we want to take away from this verse. 
So the question that I want us to explore today is, does this verse apply to us? Does it? And if so, how? That's what we're going to look at today. So to do that, let's look at how people, broadly speaking, have understood this verse. What's the popular understanding of this verse? And as I did some research, as I was thinking on it and having some conversations, I realized there's a spectrum. There's not just one like, oh, this is what everybody thinks. There's actually a range of meanings. So I've identified like three, call it key markers in that spectrum that kind of act as an anchor for us. So I just want to real quick name what those three things are. What are the three anchors on this spectrum that helps us understand what this verse is all about? So the first one is kind of on this far, far extreme or this end, the health and wealth. Health and wealth. This verse is telling us that we're going to be wealthy and healthy all of our life, right? Now, you're immediately like, well, that doesn't quite jive with my experience, right? But, but here's, here's what it's saying. God's plan is to give me wealth, to give me resources, to give me money, to give me the stuff that I want. And he's also going to be uh, giving me a life that's free of suffering, free of hardship. Nothing's going to go wrong, right? Right? <laughs> you're all laughing because you know, like, this isn't true. Like, we just look at our own experiences and it's like, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. But this, this is an idea that's out there. There are some people who are walking around just like, okay, I just got to get there. Like, I'm on my way. It's going to happen. I got to do something right or figure something out. And boom, it'll happen. Health and wealth. That's, that's what this verse is saying. That's what some people say. Okay. Maybe not we're all falling there, but let's maybe bring it down a little bit. And here's what I'm calling this one. It's, it's the definitive good. So here's, here's what maybe this anchor kind of looks like. I follow God, therefore, he's supposed to give me good things. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, like, God, I'm, I'm trying to honor you. I'm, I'm living a life that you want me to live, so you're going to give me good things. That's what this verse is saying. You've got plans for me, and they're good. They're not to harm me. They're good plans. It's prosperous. There's hope and future here. Like, I'm supposed to get good things from you. God, I, I'm following you. You give me good things. That's, that's one aspect of how we could read this verse. Like, we can take it and say, like, yep, there's a definitive good that's coming my way. There's another one. Maybe you're not quite there, but maybe you're kind of like, yeah, I, I could see that. Maybe there's, there's some resonance with that. But I'm wondering if this last one really kind of might like stir it up for you. I'm calling it discerning the plan. Discerning the plan. If I follow God and I figure out his plan just right, he's got a plan. I've got to figure out what it is. And if I get it just right, then I'm going to have the good things. Case in point okay, should I marry this person or not? Like, is, th is this supposed to be my spouse? Like, should I marry this person? Like, are they quite right? I'm not sure. Like, what if I do it and it's not right? Like, hmm, should I take this job? It means we got to move and relocate. But like, is that, is that what God's asking of me? Or go back to graduation. It's college time. What school should I go to? I can't choose the wrong one. Like, I want to go to this major and all like, but is this going to be a good fit? Like, we got to discern the plan just right, and then we're going to get the good things. Because if we miss it, oh, shoot, we missed out on what God was planning for me. I'm curious if this is stirring some things up for you. 
Like, I'm curious if you're just like, yeah, I'm kind of seeing myself in some of that. And it might be a hybrid of a couple of pieces. Like, I don't know that I've got it all figured out, but like, these were just things that occurred to me as I was thinking on this. Like, there's this spectrum of reading this verse. And I think this gets at it. I'm curious where you might find yourself. Are there some resonance here? It's like, yeah, that's kind of, kind of what I think. I want to go back to the question real quick. Like, does this verse apply to us? Yes and no. That's the answer. Yes and no. And what I want to do is I want to unpack a little bit more of what's going on in these three examples here to begin to walk towards what's the understanding that God wants for us when it comes to this verse. So I'm curious if, if you noticed a little bit of a pattern in each of those. I drew out some consistent themes in all three. So I want to just throw them up here real quick. Here's three things I think are consistent in all three. God has a plan for everyone. There's, that's the idea. Like all three of those examples, like there's a plan here. There's a plan for everyone. Okay? And then it's for good things. Like God's a good God. He's wanting good things. Like that's a consistent thing in all three. It's a question of what it is. But if you follow him, you're going to get it. Follow him, go with him, align with Jesus, align with God, like, then you're going to get these good things. That's consistent all the way through. And so back to this question, like, does this apply to us? Yes and no. And we're going to see how in just a minute. But obviously, if all three of those examples, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of creating here an ex, uh, kind of a framework that I think at play, and here's the one thing that I want to name that is not true. When you look at all three of those things, you look at these consistent themes, there's something that's assumed about who God is, and it's this. God is transactional. God is transactional. If I do, he does. If he does, then I do. We're in a transaction here. Here's my money, I get the product, or I get the service. Like, that is the assumption that can creep in when we read this verse. This is not who God is. He's not transactional. He's not here just to like, okay, if you do what I want to do, then I'll give you what you want. Like, we're, we're working this out. It's mutually beneficial. That's not the kind of relationship God wants with us. It's not a transactional relationship. It's not one where we give and get just to give and get. He's wanting something more than that. So, how do we get there? Like, how do we really understand this verse the way that it's meant to be understood? And, and how much of what we've named is, is right or not right? How does it apply to us? In what ways does it? And how does it not? Well, I invite you to turn to Jeremiah 29. And just like we looked at last week, we looked at another verse, Philippians 4.13. We learned a skill last week. We want to read verses in context. We want to read verses before and after whatever it is we're looking at. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to read verses 1 to 14 of Jeremiah 29. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to understand the context in which it comes. We're also going to pick up a new skill today. So I invite you to turn to Jeremiah 29, 11. If you don't know where that is, look in your table of contents. It's kind of here in the middle. It's one of the bigger books of the prophets in the Old Testament. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 14. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through just kind of in, in chunks or in sections and make some comments along the way that's going to help us understand how do we read this verse. 
So, beginning at verse 1 in Jeremiah 29. This is the text of the letter of the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Pause there a second. Right here, we're told what we're about to read. It's a letter. There's a letter that's been written, and it's been written by this guy, Jeremiah. Now, he's a prophet. He was operating at a particular time in Israel's history, and he was speaking on behalf of God, and he wrote a letter. Well, who did he write to? He wrote to exiles. Now, that's important. We're going to get into this in just a minute. But what, what's happening here is a significant moment in the life of Israel. They are exiled. They're exiles in Babylon. So we'll come to that. Keep reading. Verse 2. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had all gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted this letter to Elisa, the son of Japha, and Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, pause. Here, here we get the context in which this letter is written. And what I want you to see is that there's history happening here. There's events, there's, a, there's an, a, a movement or a moment that's taking place that's affecting what we read. So I want to tell you right away, here's the skill that I want you to walk away with today. We need to read historically. We want to read historically. We want to realize that this book, this Bible, it spans history. There's, there's a bunch of things that are taking place, and we can't just divorce it from that context. So in just like we learned last week, we're supposed to read in literary context, read verses before and after. We have to be mindful that there's history taking place here. And that affects our understanding. So just know that we'll explore that in just a little bit more detail in just a moment. But let's keep reading. So back down, verse 4. This is what the Lord, the Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pause there. So what, what's, here's the content of the letter. It's beginning. So remember, they're in exile, and Jeremiah is writing a letter to those people in exile. And what does he say? Build houses. Plant gardens. Get married. Have children. Have your children get married and have children. Seek the prosperity and the peace of where you are. Why? Because you're going to be there for a while. This exile was something that God warned the people about. 
So remember, now, they're in exile. This is Babylon. This is where they are. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came into Judah, into Jerusalem, and he ransacked everything. He took over. He, he took people out of their homes, and he brought them to his city, to his nation, Babylon. They're now captives. They were taken from their homes. They were ripped out from what they knew, and they were taken to a foreign land. Now, this has that level of significance of like, wow, that sounds awful. But there's a unique thing that we need to learn about, we need to be aware of. For Israel, the land was everything. The land is where God said, like, hey, I'm going to make you a people, and I'm going to give you this place. You're going to live there. This is going to be yours. You're going to be my people. You're going to live in this promised land. That's where you reside. But here they are being ripped from it. They no longer live in that land. They're being taken to a foreign land, and they are now captives. Remember how their story started? Egypt, they were slaves. They were captives. God rescued them from that. But now it's going backwards. Things aren't as they're supposed to be. Like, they're supposed to be in this land, and and yet they're not. And so they're like, this isn't how things are supposed to be. Like, things aren't supposed to be this way. And yet, here's the message they're hearing from Jeremiah. Settle in. This is where you belong now. This isn't going to change drastically. Like, I want you to plant gardens. I want you to harvest. I want you to live there. Like, you're going to be here a while. This was an affront to everything they believed. They thought they belonged in the land. They were going to stay there, and, and that's where God would have them, but... Here they are in exile. It's not working. It's not as things should be. But more than that, they're captive to Gentiles, people who are not like them. And typically, Israel didn't have a favorable view of Gentiles. They were the chosen people. Like, we're, we're, we belong to God. Like, this is the way it is. And, and all the other people, eh. But now they're slaves to a Gentile king. And God's like, seek their peace and prosperity? Are you kidding me? Like, that's not how this is supposed to go. This is the context in which Jeremiah is writing this letter. So this news is actually not good news. This news is like, you're going to be here a while. And it's not the news that they wanted to hear. I want you to keep reading. Go back down to verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you have encouraged them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. What this is referring to is there were people, prophets, who were claiming to speak for the Lord and said, hang on, everybody, this is just going to be short-lived. It's going to be a year, maybe two. Like, we're going to go back to the land. Hang on. Just sit tight. It's all going to be fine. That's what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that this was just a blip on the radar. They wanted to hear, like, everything's going to work out and go back to the way things were. Like, it's all going to be okay. That's what they wanted to hear. That's what some people were saying. Here God's like, that's not the truth. That's not the way things are going to be. Like this, this is going to be in for the long haul. 
what they're telling you is not accurate. I have not sent them. What I'm about to tell you is this. Pick up at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. Not a year or two. Not just a little blip on the radar. 70 years. You're going to be there a while. That's why I want you to plant, to settle, to marry, have children. Like This is a lifetime. 70 years. And now imagine that too. For some people, like they're maybe in their 40s or 50s, like they're not going to get to go back. They don't get to go back to the way things were. Like they're going to die in exile. And some of these children are going to grow up in such a way they're probably not going to see it either. But like 70 years. 70 years. This is a hard message. This is not good news for them. They're hearing this like, oh no, this is not at all what I expected. It's in this context that God now wants to speak. He wants us to realize and see like all the hard stuff that they're going through. Here's what I want to tell you. So back to verse 10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you, and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's like here is where God inserts our verse today. It's in this context of exile. When things aren't looking good, it's like, hang on, hang on. It's going to be 70 years. You're going to, this is going to be a long haul. But I have good purpose here. Remember how I promised, I'm going to bring you back to the land because I have plans. I want to prosper you. I have a hope and a future for you. That's the message that he's now offering in this moment. Well, what are these plans? Like, what is this prospering, this hope, this future? Like, what what is it that God is referring to? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Here is the prosperous plans that God offers. You get to be with me again. We're going to be reunited in relationship. You will be my people. I will be your God. When you call to me, I'll hear you. I will bring you back. We will reconvene after this period. You see, God had told them ahead of time, back in Deuteronomy 28, when he's making the covenant with this nation, he's like, you are going to rebel against me. And when you do that for too long, I'm going to have to up the ante. I'm going to send you into exile. Like there's going to have to be discipline here. There's going to have to be consequences. They are now living that. But what does God say? I will still be your God. I will still be with you. When you call out to me, I will be there for you. 
That is my promise. That is my, my offer of hope and a future. It's me. And that is where our verse comes. These are the plans. This is the hope. This is the prospering that God wants to offer to Israel. You're in exile, but it's not going to last forever. And we will be reunited again. That's what I'm offering to you. So that's the context. That's all that's taking place right here. And so maybe if I could just kind of sum it up. Historically, historically, this is good, but hard news for the Israelites. Historically, this is, this is hard news, like, okay, you're going to be in exile a while, but it's not going to last forever, and we're going to be reunited. That's the good news part. And that's the message of Jeremiah 29, 11. There is good here, but it's hard. What does that have to do with us? Like, okay, we can hear that. Like, I walked you through this history lesson. It's like, okay, what's that all for, right? Like, why do we need to understand that? It's when we go through history, not apart from it, that we begin to understand meaning. We want to go through the history to understand what's taking place so that we can understand what God is trying to tell us. And so that's what we're doing. We're going through the history. So I want to highlight a couple of things that we pick up as we read the context and then the verse that we're looking at. So number one, here's something that's true. God is in control. God's in control. This whole thing, this whole exile thing, was not an accident. It wasn't like, oh, shoot, how did we get here? Like, hang on, let me fix it for you. Like, this was not an accident. This was part of God's plan, and he warned them about it. Deuteronomy 28, all the way thousands of years ago, like, this is going to happen. I'm warning you. And sure enough, it does. This is not an accident. It's part of God's plan. He's in control. And that's true. Like, this is part of who he is. This is part of God's character. He is in control. Number two, God is a promise-keeping God. He's making a promise, and he fulfilled it. If you keep reading in Jeremiah, reading the rest of the Old Testament, they do come back from exile. After the seven years are over, like, they start to come back. Not everybody does. Some choose to stay. Some can't leave. Like, but there is our coming back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the wall. Like, it happens. And, and this is a promise that God made back in Deuteronomy. Like, there's going to be an exile. And sure enough, God is a promise-keeping God. This is part of who he is. This is who he is. This is his character. He is a promise-keeping God. So that's number two. And number three, God has a plan. And it's good, but not how we would define it. God does have a plan, but not how we would define it. See, imagine ourselves as Israelites. We're supposed to be in the land. This is where we belong. We worship here in the temple. Like We're God's chosen people. It's supposed to look like this. And that's not how God's plan looks. He's telling them, I'm doing something here. I want you to seek the peace of the city in which you live. Like, there's prosperity for them and prosperity for you. This is my good plan. But it's not what they would have chosen. They didn't want it to play out like this. God's plan wasn't good in their mind. And I think we can sometimes do the same thing. So here's that turn that I want to make. 
Sometimes when we read this verse, we have a particular picture in mind about what Jeremiah 29, 11 is pointing to. But sometimes it doesn't jive with that. Those things don't come together. What we do is we bring our own history to it. So we've been looking at their history. Well, real quick, let's look at ours. We live in the 21st century. We live in America. We live in the wealthiest nation that has ever existed. We have access to resources that people thousands of years ago would have never imagined. The system and infrastructure that we have to make life so high quality is beyond imagination. Like the the fact that we have smartphones that can access almost any kind of information in an instant. The, the, The resources that we have access to to bring in food, water, basic needs being met, and then lavishly so. Like all of that is brand new in the course of history. We come with that assumption. Like that's just what we're used to. Like this is the water that we swim in. So we're going to read a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11 with all that history of like, oh, the good that I imagine? Yeah, it's more of this stuff. It's more of what I'm used to. It's more of what I want. That is the history that we bring. We read with particular eyes. We read through a historical lens. Like that is what shapes our understanding of any of these verses. So let's go back to those three things that I showed you, those three anchors, that spectrum. How do we now view those ideas in relation to the history that we just laid out with Israel? So here's what I want to tell you. That, that God does have a plan for all of us. But Jeremiah was writing to the nation. He wasn't writing to individuals. He was writing a corporate letter. What he wants to say is like, this plan that God's talking about is corporate. We as Americans, we read very individualistically. God has a plan for me. That's how we read it. The plan that, that Jeremiah is talking about is a corporate one. So right there is just a little bit of a difference. Like, hey, how do we begin to read differently? So let's take that first health and wealth gospel one. What that that understanding is saying is like, we're all going to get the the money and resources that we're looking for. We're going to be healthy. We're going to be free of suffering. This letter, this verse was written to people suffering. The promise is not that we won't suffer. So automatically, that understanding is wrong. Like, we're going to suffer. We're going to hit hard times. The promise is not that we will avoid that. That that health and wealth promise is not going to come through. That is not what God promises us. God does have a plan for us. He's He's got good things for us, but it's not all the things that you might want and the freedom from hardship and suffering. It's not going to be like that. These people, they were suffering. They needed to be encouraged to endure the suffering, not flee from it. So that's the first one. That second one, the definitive good. I follow God, therefore he's going to give me good things. We are called to follow God. He does want good things for us. But he's not necessarily defining those good things according to what we would say they are. The people, the Israelites, they wanted to stay in the land. They wanted to be taken back there as soon as possible. It's like, okay, I will pray to you. I will do all the things you ask me. Now take me back. No. You got to be there for a while. 
70 years, plant, build, settle. That is not what they wanted to hear. But God's telling them, this is for your good. I don't want you to be a people who own a land. I want you to be a people who look like me. I want you to grow in character. I want you to love one another like I'm loving you. That is what God wants for them. And that is prosperous and good. This is what he's pointing to. Verses 12 through 14 talk about the relationship that God wants to have with them. That is the prosperity that they need. They wanted land. They wanted food. They wanted resources. God's saying, I'm not necessarily going to give that to you. I'm going to give you what's better, me. And that's true for us. The prosperity that we often think of is this, like, I want my life to be the way that I want it. When God's stepping in and saying, I want you to have the life that you need, that is best for you. And that life is the life that I give you. See, I think when Jeremiah is writing this, he has in mind the exile, but it is echoing or foreshadowing something that was going to take place. You see, after they would come back from exile, several hundred years later, someone would show up and he would bring the prosperity that God wants for all of us. And it's Jesus. He would come to live a life that modeled the kingdom, that showed us what God is really like. And then he took that life and he gave it up. He died for us so that we could have life with him. And that, that is the future. That is the hope. That is the prosperity that he wants for us. It's life with him. It's not meant to be this, like, you can have all the riches you want. You can drive the cars you want. You can live in a big house. Like, that's not what we need. We need the goodness of life with God. That's what Jesus came to offer. That's what Jeremiah is pointing to, this kind of reality, life with God. And it was fully manifested with Christ. And so, yes, there is good that God wants to give us. But it may not come in the form of money, riches, stuff, freedom from suffering. He's going to give us something even better. Life with him. That's the good that we need. And then finally, that third one, the plan. Well, okay, God's got a plan. I want to say, yes, God has a plan for you. He does. An individual plan for you. The plan that Jeremiah 29, 11 is talking about is way more corporate. It's way bigger, but we're all a part of it. That plan that God has for you is to look more and more like Jesus, to be conformed to his image. And so what God wants to say is like, the plan that I have for you is to grow in love, grace, truth, forgiveness. That's my plan for you. Yeah, I've got a plan for you, where you're going to go to school, what job you're going to take. Like, yeah, I've got those things, but that's not what is important. What's important is this, looking like Jesus. So if you're trying to figure out, like, you're trying to make a decision. Do I go to this school? Do I relocate my family? Do I take up this job? Do I marry this person? Like, should I buy this car? Like, all of those, God wants us to come to him Seek him, ask him the question, but then relax and make a decision. 
choose a course of action. It's not like, oh, I'm going to choose wrong because what God's going to do is he's going to work in and through it to grow us to the greater plan, which is looking more and more like him. Those hard times when you go to school and you're like, man, I shouldn't have chosen this place. This is miserable. Like, I'm, why did I come here? The next thing we should say is like, all right, God, what do you want me to learn? Because this is part of his plan. It's not that we can choose wrong. We just may choose something that we wouldn't want to have chosen if we knew the outcome. And that's the difference. So when we're discerning God's plan, we come to him, we seek him, say, Lord, help me make this decision. And then we make a relaxed decision and trust him. I think that's what undoes all of those ideas about Jeremiah 29. Is there a plan for you? Yes. Is it an individual one? Yes. The corporate one is way better. All of it is good. It's a hope. It's a future. It's a prosperity. But maybe not quite what we have in mind. I think that is how we understand Jeremiah 29, 11. So if I could capture it, maybe in one sentence, here's, here's the big idea. God has a good plan for us, even if it's not what we would choose. That's, that's the idea. I think that's what Jeremiah 29, 11 is pointing towards. There is a good plan for each and every one of us, but it's part of a larger plan. And it may not be what we would choose each and every time. The goal is not to avoid suffering, It's not to get rich. Rather, it's to trust him. So two quick takeaways to summarize. Number one, here's our skill. Read historically. Read with history in mind. Now, what I'm not telling you is you got to go buy a bunch of books, a bunch of commentaries, go learn a lot of history. Like That's not what I'm telling you, though that can be really helpful. A good study Bible. Start there. Like have a study Bible with some notes that explains like here's what's happening in the life of Israel at this time. That's a great place to start. But even if you don't go that far, simply this posture. This happened a few thousand years ago. I just need to keep that in mind as I'm reading. That posture right there helps us to read historically. We become aware this is not just one-to-one. And so once we learn more, once we grow in our understanding, spend more time with the Bible, we're going to fill in some of these gaps. So read historically. Be aware of their history and be aware of yours. We're bringing history with us as we read. Be aware of that. So that's number one. Number two, seek the Lord. Not just what he offers, not his benefits, not the the good things he might have in store for us. We're to seek him because he is what's good for us. Not the riches, not the health, not the benefits he might offer. Him. That is what we need. He is what we need. So seek him. That is what Jeremiah 29 is pointing us to. So church family, as we read this verse, as we read any verse, let's be aware. Where is it coming from? Read the context. Read the other verses around it. And be mindful. Like, how is the Lord pointing me to him? He has a good plan for you, even if it's not what you choose. Join me in order of prayer. God, thank you that we have this verse, that we have Jeremiah 29, 11, the good news that it offers. God, I pray that we would receive it as it actually is. Good news that we get to be with you. 
ultimately coming in Jesus, offered through him, we can have life with you. That is good news. That is the hope. That is the future. Would we cling to that, Lord, above all else? Thank you, God. You're always with us. That you make this kind of promise to us. And that you are who you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.